0: My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders for our church. And I have a son who keeps asking me if he can stay up later at night and if he can ride his bike to his friend's house. And he keeps telling me what kind of car he plans to drive. Yep, in less than two months' time... Aaron and I will have two teenagers in our home and the signs are blossoming. As my boys enter their teen years, I have noticed at least two things that really matter to them. First, they always want to know what the next plan is. And second, they want to have fewer and fewer boundaries. In other words... I've noticed that they, they want to know that things will be okay and that whatever is coming down the pike will be worth the effort it requires of us. And second, they, they, they want to have greater and greater freedom to make their own choices and to do their own thing. We can label these two categories of things they're after with, with the words comfort and freedom. When it comes to the Christian life, some of you may still be new and just learning about Jesus. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for investing this morning with us. And I suspect that there are some others of you who perhaps still feel like spiritual teenagers where you're waiting for God to comfort you and to give you the freedom that he promised you. Where maybe you wonder, when will I find some relief from the pain of life? And when will I be free from the entrenched sin in my life? And when will I be freed up to love God the way I want to? When will the future not be so scary? And when will we experience rescue from the attacks we're facing on so many fronts? Why don't I feel close to God? Where's that comfort of that? And why does it seem like God just doesn't trust me? He hasn't given me that freedom yet, and he's possibly even disappointed with me. Today we look at a few paragraphs in Luke chapter 2 as we continue our study through the gospel of Luke. We'll start at verse 22, and Luke's message for us this morning is a simple one. If you trust in Jesus, your comfort and your freedom have come. But if you do not trust in Jesus, your comfort and your freedom may never come. Let me pray before we begin examining the text. Our Father in heaven, please help us now We come to your word as those seeking your comfort and your freedom. Perhaps some of us have never experienced comfort and freedom from you before. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would please grant us your spirit and fill us with your spirit and illuminate these words that you had recorded so long ago for our instruction. Help us to see that our comfort and freedom have come in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First in this passage, we'll see that the faithful are waiting for comfort and freedom. Where we are in in Luke's story is that he just finished telling us the story of Jesus' birth and its meaning. And after giving us the eyewitness testimony of both the shepherds and a battalion of angels who appeared to them, Luke, in today's passage, will have another pair of witnesses to Jesus' identity. But before he gets to that pair of witnesses, he sets the scene with a picture of faithful Israelites waiting for God to do something big. They are waiting for God to bring his promised comfort and freedom to his people. These are Mary and Joseph, these these two uh, parents of this child. Uh, They just circumcised their baby when he was eight days old in obedience to the law of Moses. And they named him Jesus in obedience to God's angelic messenger. And now Luke picks up the story 33 days later in verse 22 of chapter 2. When the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now we should observe here, That we have right here the first two citations of the Old Testament in Luke's gospel, in his book. Back to back, verses 23 and 24. And the first citation gives us a theological explanation of what's going on, highlighting the promise of freedom. And the second citation gives us a historical explanation of what is going on, highlighting the assurance of comfort. Let me explain this to you. I'll start with the second one, because the first one is parenthetical. He kind of tosses in the middle. So let me just start with the easier one, the second one. In verse 24, Luke quotes from Leviticus chapter 12 a book of Moses from the Old Testament. And chapter 12, is it's a chapter that describes the purification rituals for a woman after giving birth. At this time in the history of God's work with his people, when a woman gave birth to a child, all the blood from the event would render her unclean, which doesn't mean dirty. It just means that she was unauthorized, to access God's sacred space in the temple for a period of time. She couldn't go to worship with God's people. Leviticus 12 describes this, and it it it, it it's that chapter that makes us know that Luke's event that he describes took place 33 days after Jesus' circumcision. Let me read verses 3 and 4. On the eighth day, after you give birth to a child, a male child, on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, Then she, the mother, shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. So this is what Luke calls the time for their purification. And Luke tells us that they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in verse 24. He does this to highlight the economic status of Jesus' family that they could not afford a lamb. Because look, later in Leviticus, verse 8, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take, here's what Luke quotes, two turtle doves or two young or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. The point here is that Jesus came from a family without excess means, but they didn't let that stop them from obeying God. And they didn't let that stop them from seeking the comfort of being made clean after this time of, of being in the blood of her purification, is the way the text describes it. You see, they were faithfully executing their duties before the Lord to follow his instructions. And in the process, they were granting Mary the comfort and the authorization to once again join the assembly of God's people. And yet we should notice that in Luke, this purification, it's not called Mary's purification. It's called their purification in verse 22. It's not only for Mary having gone through the childbirth. Yes, there is comfort for Mary to once again take part in the worship of God. But there is also another purification also taking place, which leads us to the theological purpose of Luke's first citation. In verse 23, Luke quotes from Exodus chapter 13. This passage... From another one of the books of Moses, it describes the people of Israel in Egypt under the bondage of slavery, awaiting their freedom. God has, at this point in the story, God has brought a series of plagues on Egypt, their oppressors, in order to compel Pharaoh to let his slaves go free. And the Bible's main word for this acquisition of freedom is redemption. That's an important word. It'll come up soon, uh, later in this passage in Luke. Keep that in mind. Redemption. Just know that redemption is the act of paying for someone so that they are no longer a slave. You're buying the slave so they can have their freedom. And so in Exodus chapters 12 and 13, the people are still slaves to Pharaoh. And there is one last plague to come, the death of the firstborn. And in the middle of that story, when there was not a house in all Egypt where someone was not dead, and with Pharaoh finally fed up, demanding that they leave, God says the following to Moses in verse 2 of chapter 13, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then down at verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you. Here's what the part Luke quotes. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. And here's what it looks like to set them apart. Verse 13, every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb, pay for it, buy it back. Or, if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. All right, so, Luke quotes that key phrase in verse 12, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. But he wants us to have this whole passage in mind. He assumes that that, that we get this, that we understand this. Because Mary and Joseph are in Jerusalem not only to purify mary from the bleeding surrounding her 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 delivery but they're also there to redeem jesus as their firstborn in other words the firstborn of a jew's animals must be killed as an offering to god with the exception of a donkey you can keep the donkey if you want but you redeem it by with a lamb so you kill the lamb instead but With your own sons, you don't have the option of killing them. You have to redeem them. You have to kill an animal in their place. And so you have the animal killed in its place, a lamb typically. The Jews did this in obedience to the command of God. To remember how God rescued His people from the past and to acknowledge that God owns them, they will kill an animal as a sacrifice in place of their firstborn child. This demonstrates their hope in God who is their kind master, who has redeemed them and will continue to redeem them. He, He redeems them, their firstborn sons, in perpetuity. He is the one who gives them Freedom. The point of all of this. Let me pull this together for you. The point is that Mary and Joseph are faithful Israelites. They are well aware of what God has done for his people in the past and they are obeying him in the present. They were already told in chapter one of Luke, That we saw a few weeks ago that God will use this firstborn child of theirs to do something amazing. They know that this child will reign on David's throne over Israel forever. And so they are waiting now to see what God will do. And in this passage they picture for us the hope of Israel. The faithful few who are watching and waiting for God to both comfort And free his people once and for all. Luke's building those two themes in this text right from the start. And what is about to happen is something that they probably never saw coming. Their comfort has come. We pick up in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for... For the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Messiah, his chosen one. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said... Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let me stop there. Luke here, he now presents the first of his this new pair of witnesses to Jesus' identity. It's a man named Simeon. You see that he was righteous and devout. He was under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. And look at verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Jerusalem. Here is this guy's mission. Here's his life purpose. He only wants to see the consolation of Jerusalem. Consolation, it's a a fancy word that simply means comfort. The verb form of this same word is used in the the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where Isaiah predicts the consolation of Jerusalem. Here's what he's waiting for. In Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is what righteous men like Simeon are still waiting for in the first century A.D. Isaiah, writing in the 8th century B.C., he had predicted that the Jews would get to return home from Babylon, where they had been in, in, in exile, they were under oppression. And he had predicted that Babylon's oppression would be annihilated. And they did return, and it was annihilated, but they were deeply disappointed with their new state of affairs with the new temple that they built and with this new city of jerusalem the older generation wept when they saw these new things because it couldn't compare to the former glory of what they had before they had been taken away and captured the nation was still awaiting comfort they were still known for their sin which seemed to be held against them They were still suffering under the oppressive warfare of foreign empires. And so Simeon is faithfully waiting for this comfort, this consolation to finally descend upon Jerusalem, God's people. And he comes into the temple under the direction of God's Holy Spirit, where the baby Jesus and his parents are offering sacrifices to comfort Mary and make her clean, to redeem Jesus as the firstborn. And Simeon takes this child in his arms and he pronounces two blessings. One on God and the other on Mary. First, in verse 28, he blesses God. And he says, verse 29, Now, God, finally you can let me go home in peace. Simeon has found the peace that the angels promised to the shepherds on the night Jesus was born, up in verse 14, where they said, Glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here now we get a picture of Simeon who finds this peace. And then in verses 30 and 31, he says, my own eyes have seen your salvation. This is the salvation we're waiting for. And it's arrived and it is in this baby. And I've seen it. Verse 32, he says, this baby with this salvation serves two purposes, light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. In other words, this child will be the one to make God known and available to all people of every nation. And in so doing, he will bring to Israel the glory that God has promised in ages past through the prophets. That Israel would be at the center of the world, at the center of what God is doing because from Israel has now come this child who will save the entire world. The man who's been waiting his entire life for the comfort, the consolation of Israel has finally seen it with his own eyes. Comfort has come. But, lest you get too comfy in this comfort, you need to know what God's comfort involves. It's not the comfort of Leather furniture in an air conditioned room. Simeon turns now to bless Mary with God's unexpected comfort. In verse 34, he says that this child will not have an insignificant life. He will cause the world to flip upside down. Because of him, many in Israel will fall. And because of him, many in Israel will rise. This child will upset the social order. He will establish a new order. And he will be, see what he says? For a sign that is opposed. In other words, people will not like him. He will be opposed. And by the way, Mary, in verse 35 You will suffer along with him like a sword piercing your own soul because thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You see, this child will cause trouble and people will oppose him. They won't like him because he exposes what people really believe. He exposes what they love. He exposes what they value. He will shine a light on these things. And then he will knock them down like an annoying sibling destroying a tower of blocks. And people tend not to like that. This is how God's comfort works. Are you ready to be comforted? Let me give you two applications. First, understand God's comfort. And second, receive God's comfort. Understand God's comfort and receive God's comfort. Friends, God's comfort will leave you feeling very uncomfortable. It will expose everything you hold dear, it will pillage your desires and your values. God's comfort will leave you feeling unsettled and shaken. But, so you need to understand it, that's how it works, but receive it. When you receive it, you'll find that you no longer have to bear a burden that you're not strong enough to carry. And you will find that you will no longer be enslaved to false gods who cannot deliver to you what they have promised you. And you will find that your iniquity, your sin, your wrongdoing, it will be forgiven and your warfare will have ceased. You see, God's comfort feels very uncomfortable at first. But this is what it must be like in order for it to be lasting and to take deep roots in your relationship with God. And Jesus alone can deliver this comfort to you. But he doesn't simply comfort you and then leave you where you are. He doesn't leave you to just deal with your slavery and your suffering, but try to feel comforted about it while you're there. And so Luke moves on to show us that not only has comfort come, but what has also come is freedom. Luke's second witness Will tell us about it. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, Luke tells us much more about Anna's life situation than he did about Simeon's, but the testimony that she speaks is much shorter. So what do we learn about her? She was this old woman. And I've always assumed that Simeon was an old man, but Luke never tells us his age. Uh, Good tip to observe the text carefully. I need to see what he says. But Anna, she was old. She was married for a short time, seven years. This week, my wife and I are celebrating our 15th anniversary. I can't imagine if our marriage had ended after seven years. She has lived as a widow. She's lived on her own for a long time, at least 60 years. Uh, depending on how the Greek gets translated, there's some debate. It could possibly be 84 years that he's saying 84 is the length of her widowhood. But either way, it's, it's a long time. She has spent a long length of widowhood with the Lord, always in the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Verse 37. Now, many, many women and, and many men, in fact, would see such a short marriage and the death of young love as a tragedy. And it certainly was. But she also saw through that tragedy to her Lord. She was free from bitterness, from fear. She was free from a debilitating loneliness. She knew what it means to be free. She knew what it means to be redeemed from slavery to such things. And on this day, verse 38, at that very hour, she gives thanks to God for this child, this baby Jesus. And she speaks of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman knows a thing or two about redemption, which means spiritual freedom, And she knows it when she sees it, so she proclaims redemption in this child to anyone who will listen and rejoice with her. We discussed this redemption of Israel often when we preached through Isaiah last year. We must see here in Luke the fulfillment of what the prophet foretold. For example, let me remind you of some promises from Isaiah 62. And catch the connections here to Anna, to her life and her proclamation. Isaiah says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Verse eight, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. And verse 11, behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, His reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. This child Jesus is responsible for making these things happen. The widow Anna can speak of having the Lord as her bridegroom now in this child. The rejoicing, Anna, can speak of the joy of God's salvation now in this child. The worshiping, Anna, can speak of the gifts of God to his free people now in this child. Let me give you two applications. First, understand God's freedom. And second, receive God's freedom. Understand God's freedom and receive God's freedom. Please understand this, that you can be free of your bitterness, of your anger, of your loneliness, of your misery, because of this child, Jesus, the Lord's Messiah. And please understand this, that you can be free of your sin to walk with God forever because of this child, Jesus, the Lord's chosen one. Why? How can this be? How can we receive God's freedom? What makes this possible? Look at where Luke ends his temple scene. With your favor that has come. Verse 39. And when they had performed everything According to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Luke reminds us once again here that Jesus' parents were faithful Israelites, doing all that God had commanded them to do. In verse 39, and they took their baby back home with them. And as that child grew, the favor of God was upon him. This is no incidental detail. This is not merely a convenient way to wrap up the story as though he couldn't think of anything else and he just needs a transition. No, this statement is the linchpin to the entire thing. Why is comfort available? Why is freedom possible? How is God going to reward those waiting for the consolation of Israel? And how will he speak to those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem? Because of this child upon whom his favor rests. Remember once more the words of the angel in the night he was born in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, peace with God and comfort and true freedom are now available Only because God's favor and his pleasure rest upon this child. Because God is pleased with him, his comfort can come to you. Because God's favor shines brightly toward him, his freedom becomes accessible to you. Please, trust this child, today, with your life. If you trust Jesus, your comfort and your freedom have come. But if you do not trust in Jesus, your comfort and your freedom may never come. Please don't let another day go by without him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy in sending Jesus, the one whom, with whom you are pleased. And because of your pleasure in him, Lord, please help us to trust that we might receive your comfort, that we might gain access into your freedom from the slavery to our sin. Lord, please help us. Help us to love Jesus, to trust him today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.